Acts chapter 10, this is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1. It says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Verse nine. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that, we, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. And so let's soak in what is happening here. So there's this man named Cornelius. And he lives in the city of Caesarea. It's about 30 miles from the city of Joppa, which is where Peter's staying. It tells us that Cornelius is a centurion, which basically just means he's a military man. That's where he gets his income. Um, we know that this man believes in God, uh, at least from a Jewish perspective, but we also know that he's not sold out to Judaism. And we know this because in the story, it calls him a God-fear instead of a proselyte. And so a God-fear is someone who believed in God. Uh, a proselyte was someone who, uh, who, who entered into covenant with God. And so what you discover about this man is that he believed in God, but he, he hasn't gone all the way in yet. He hasn't taken the step. And, and I look at this man's life and, oh, he's so respectable. His family is so respectable. Like this is, this is the family. Verse two, it says that he's devout. It says that he's God-fearing. It says that he, give, he gave generous, that they gave generous to those in need. Not just that they gave to those in need, but they gave generously. And he prayed. Think about the, the type of family this person is. The type of family they are. It says that, that um, Cornelius, he gets this vision. And in the vision that he gets, there are some incredibly encouraging spoken words to him. And God appears to him and says, hey, your gifts and your prayers, they've come up as a memorial before God. And, and then he gives him some very specific instructions. I don't know if you picked up on that, but in the middle of a vision, he says, I want you to, to send to Joppa for this man named Simon who's staying on this, in this person's house, and this is the name of the street. It's very specific. At the same time that, that this is happening, you know, fast forward a couple hours later, 
The next day, um, Peter gets hungry. He goes upstairs to pray. He's hungry. And he starts to see something. He says that he falls into a trance. And we're like, what in the world is that? He starts to see something in his mind. And what he sees is this image of a, a sheet, like a, a bed sheet being let down from heaven with all kinds of animals, with birds and reptiles and a voice telling him, Peter, get up, kill these animals and eat them. And Peter replies, I've never eaten anything unclean. God says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happens three different times. Same vision, three times. Now, let's just be honest. We read this and we go, this is some weird stuff that is happening. And we're tempted to kind of skip past it. Something that maybe we've experienced before, something that's a little bit more normal. But I want to point out something because I think this story is so beautiful. It shows us such a clear picture of who God is and his heart is for us. So as a Jew... Um, which Peter was, there were certain restrictions on what you could eat. We know this from Leviticus chapter 11, if you're interested in this, you can go back and read. This was the the dietary restrictions, that there were all these animals. And and so God says, hey, I don't want you to eat a bat, and I don't want you to eat an eagle, and I don't want you to eat a rat, and I don't want you to eat a lizard. And we're like, God knew what he was talking about, right? Like, none of you threw those things on the grill last night. Or if you did, that, you know, we'll talk about that. Like, and, 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 and so Peter, as a good Jew, he wouldn't have eaten any of those things. And yet in his vision, telling him, hey, I want you to get up and to kill and to eat these things. And so Peter, you know, kind of snaps out of this. The the vision leaves him. He comes back into normal life and he's going, that was strange. You know know that feeling where you've kind of been daydreaming and then you're like, okay, back to reality. And, And he's trying to make sense of it. And immediately, right on the heels of that vision, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, hey, at your door, there are three people and they're from me. I want you to go downstairs. I want you to go with them. And then, like, think about that. Think about how crazy that would be, Drew. It's like, you're in the middle of prayer. God shows up. Hey, people are going to show up at your door. Sarah, it's Baja Burrito. They've got lunch for you. Just open the door, let them come in. And then all of a sudden, and it's like, think about how specific and crazy this is. It's not a coincidence. I want you to soak in. I want you to see the activity. You guys see what God is doing. God's giving visions. God is, is pouring something out. He is showing something. He's trying to get people's attention. Let's keep going. I'm going to finish this chapter. It says, the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, 
but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John the Baptist preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Jesus by hanging him on a cross, but God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and he caused them to be seen. Jesus was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about Jesus, testify about Jesus, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those who had entered covenant with God, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord from Acts 10. Thanks for hanging with me. Now I want to talk about Peter real quick, and then I want to talk about Cornelius. But the thing that stands out about both of these two people and Cornelius' family, not just Cornelius, listen to this, is they were willing to be molded and they were willing to be moved by God. They were willing to be molded. They were willing to be moved by God. And so Peter finds himself standing in Cornelius' house and he realizes that the vision that he'd had a day before wasn't about food at all. It was about people. See, Jewish people didn't associate with, with Gentiles. They weren't supposed to mingle. They weren't supposed to marry them. And I don't fully understand this, but what you, what you see all throughout the Old Testament, God says this over and over again, is I don't want you to be like the people around you. Because what's gonna happen when, 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 when you start to become like them is you're gonna forget about me. That when you start to live like the people around you who don't know me, who don't love me, who don't serve me, they're gonna actually pull you away from me. It was God's heart from the very beginning to set aside a group of people that would be holy, that would be distinct. But here's the thing, they, they were never intended to be a club that was exclusive. They were never intended to be a, 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 a group of people that, that you could only be a part of if you had certain credentials. And what we see God doing in Peter is taking the thoughts and beliefs that had become twisted in his mind and untwisting them. And it's so beautiful what God is doing. I want you to see this. You think about this with, with my kids. And so um, my, my youngest daughter, she loves to help do whatever we're doing around the house, especially water flowers. And so, you know, my, my wife plants the flowers and then it becomes my duty the rest of the summer to water them. And, 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 and Merritt loves to help. And so often when we're trying to pull the hose around the house, the, the line will get, the hose will get a kink in it, right? And then water quits flowing. 
right? And so the job is to, to unkink it, to untwist it so that the water can flow the way that it's supposed to. And, and this is what God is doing with Peter. Peter had lived with Jesus. He'd, he'd watched Jesus, not just interact with Jews. Jesus interacted with Jews and Gentiles. He interacted with men and women. He interacted with the young and old. The ministry of Jesus was open to all. And yet somehow, when, when, when Peter, after Christ had died, Christ had risen, Christ had ascended to heaven, Peter can't let go of the tradition. He can't let go of the law, even though he had seen Jesus doing something so different. And what God is showing Peter is, my heart's not just for the Jewish people. My heart's not just for this little pocket of people that's living in Jerusalem. My heart is for all people. You see this in 1 Timothy 2. You see this in 2 Peter chapter 3, where, where this is what God says. God is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not just a few, not just the, the, the Jewish people, everyone in the whole world. And I love what, what God is doing to Peter. He's untwisting the places where his theology had become twisted. And God was showing him, my heart is for all people. You think about how places in your life, in your mind, where you've become twisted. And I don't know what all those things are for you. God will show you because God loves you. I think about one of the places in my life. In college, I was a part of this, this group of people. And every spring break, we would go down to Panama City Beach. If maybe you've been to Panama City Beach, spring break. And I remember going in um, with so many assumptions. You know, the reality is I grew up in this, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents taught me kind of like, you know, like Peter. Hey, don't associate with, with people. <laughs> Right, because when, when you start associating with other people, people who don't love Jesus, who aren't you know, locked in with the church family, they're gonna pull you away, they're gonna influence you. And there's, there's honestly kind of some wisdom in that, right? Like, but before you're able to, to, to make choices and but to, to know, to, to not let the world just completely influence you. But I realized that what had happened as I'd grown up in this Christian family is I'd just lived in this bubble. I'd become so insulated where my life was, was just about managing my own morality. It was about saying the prayers and, and, and being in worship and, and, and being kind to people and giving and you know, being in a small group. And, and I was doing all these things and yet there was something that had become twisted in my theology. That you looked at my life and you look at Jesus' life and you go, there's a, a stark contrast. And I started to realize this when I was in Panama City. You see, we didn't go to Panama City to go down there and be the savior, to knock beers out of people's hands and to tell them that they're going to hell. We went down there because we felt called to go into a place and to be the light of Christ. And it was there that God opened my eyes. As we're playing volleyball on the beach during the day, as, as we're going into the bars and the clubs at night, and, and, and I'm starting to realize, oh, these people, they're different than what I, I grew up thinking. You know, I'd had this narrative about, about alcohol. And when I realized, and when, when you'd get a conversation with, 
with people in Panama City in the bars is that so many of them behind the, the excessive just drunkenness, you know what it was? There was so much pain. And they just wanted to escape. And they were so sad because their life was so hard. And they thought, man, if I can just drink, if I can just go and sit out under the sun and drink with my friends for a week, it'll all go away. And God started to help me see what they needed. It wasn't to, to, to someone to come and to judge them, but to someone to sit with them and to go, oh, what you need is actually the kindness of Christ in your life. The one who wants to sit with you in your pain and, and heal you in your pain and walk with you in your pain. I had this narrative about guys and girls who went down to Panama City to hook up. And what I realized when, when, when they were willing to have a conversation is that people were just looking to be validated. Girls wanted to be noticed. They wanted to, to be told that they were beautiful, that they were mad, or guys wanted to, 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 to matter, to know that someone loved them, and they were looking for it in all the wrong ways. And as God started to untwist my theology, I started to realize, oh man, if I spent my whole life insulated away from people who are living like this, they're never gonna encounter what they actually need, which is Christ. Have you put up walls around God? Have you put up walls around your own life that is keeping you as keeping God from reaching the very people that God wants to reach? Have you put up walls around how God can work in your life? Have you read this story and you go, God can never do that. God would never give a vision. God would never do something like this. Have you put up walls? God is showing us God's heart. God is showing us God's desire and so often what happens is we just get twisted up up here. And it keeps us from living the way that God wants us to. And so God, what you see in Peter is he's about untwisting. I also don't just love Peter. He's a part of the story. I love Cornelius. I love Cornelius's family. I love that God shows up and speaks what he does to Cornelius. He shows up and he says to him, your gifts, your prayers, they've been received. Essentially what God looks at him and says, I see you. I see your effort, but I have more for you. I want us to see this because I think it's especially important in the culture and the time that we find ourselves in. What does God do to Cornelius, to Cornelius' family? God leads them to Jesus. God sees their heart in being devoted and giving generously to the poor and in praying. But God knows as good as the people they are, they need a savior. As good of a man as Cornelius was, he wasn't relating correctly to Christ. My oldest, Finley, my daughter, she's six. And she knows it's funny, so she'll do this sometimes where, you know, she'll instead of calling us mom or dad, she'd be like, hey, Brandon, hey, Courtney. Or it really gets under her grandmother's skin when she's like, hey, Jackie, and, you know, or, or her aunt. And, and you know, it's, it's just funny the way that she'll do these things. And, and we're like, Finley, don't call us that. Like, we're mom, we're dad. And what we're saying is, you know, there's, there's no distance. Like, 
there's intimacy. And I want you to know us as, as we actually are to you. And I think that's what's going on here with, with Jesus. You know, Peter shows up and he says these words. He says, you knew the message. And so the, the reality is that, is that Cornelius and his family, they knew of Jesus. But they didn't know Jesus. They were like his next door neighbor. They knew some things about Jesus, but they didn't know the fullness of who Jesus is. And Peter shows up and he explains, Cornelius, Jesus wasn't just a good man and he wasn't just one prophet among many. He wasn't just one way to God. Listen to what he says in verse 36. He says, Jesus is Lord of all. In verse 42, he says that he's judge. In verse 43, it says that he alone forgives sins. And in a culture that has the ability to really sway us, to sway our belief, and it's so pervasive, and it's so easy to get there. Man, where our, our culture will say, and they'll, and they'll show us, man, hey, as long as you're a good person, and as long as you're devoted to your religion, no matter what your religion is, and as long as you care about poor people, as long as you're generous, you're good, God accepts you. But that's not what the story teaches us about God. This story reveals to us that, that Jesus is the only one who can actually save us. That no amount of devotion, no amount of good deeds can deliver us from our sins, can save us for eternity, can strengthen us for the battle that is life. No one but Jesus. And this is hard to wrestle with when you, when you have people who don't believe the things that you believe. God put this amazing relationship in my life. This, this friend of mine, he's a, a Muslim man. He's incredibly devout. Just came out of a season of, of praying and fasting for 30 days. The guy didn't drink water from 4.30 a.m. until eight o'clock at night. No food for 30 days. He's devoted. He's a good man. He's, he's caring for other poor people in our city. And I look at my friend and I'm going, man, it is so easy just to be like, you know what? You're doing your thing. Because it's just a little bit easier. Or I look at a, a man that lives in Mount Juliet, just down the road from us, and he works at this gas station, and, and, and Jones was helping me in the yard one day, I'm doing work, and so I told him, if you help me, we'll get a Gatorade. And, and so we go to this gas station, and we walk in, and, and the man that's, that's working in there is a man from India. And he's got the, the, the red dot on his forehead. And what I realized is that, is that this man is devoted to his religion. Can you imagine how hard it would be to live out your faith as a Hindu in the middle of the South? <laughs> and we don't like parts of this story when it comes into our world. We don't like that. It's easy for me just to say to my friend, you know what? Keep doing your thing. But that's not what the Bible says. We need a savior. And here's what's so beautiful. Here's the good news in this story. Here's what is so important for us to see, that we actually see God in this story, okay? 
Because like, man, if I say that, if you have anyone in your life that is not a follower of Jesus, the hope just left, right? You're like, well, crap. But see God in this story. See God in this story. God sees Cornelius. God sees Cornelius's family. And what God sees is a heart that is hungry for the living God. God sees a heart that is, that is hungry for the true God, a God, a, a man, a family that wants truth. They want it more than, tra- than the tradition that was passed down to them. They want truth more than what, what other people are going to think, even their own family. They want God. They want the living God. They want the real God. And what do we learn about our God in the story? Where there is a hunger in the heart of a man, in the heart of a woman for the living God. God is faithful to meet people where they are, to lead them to Christ. God is faithful. God looks at Cornelius and he knew that Cornelius was willing to be molded. He was willing to to be moved, to let go of some things, to take hold of the living God and God saw it in his heart. And I go, man, it's not just something that happened back then. This is happening all around us. I was talking to my friend Aaron. He's a campus pastor over at the Canner, and he was telling me about this conversation that he got pulled into last fall. Where there's a man from Syria living in Nashville, a refugee who is Muslim, and in his dream, Jesus appeared to him. This is back in the fall, here in Nashville, city we live in. And in his dream, Jesus showed up to him and said, I am the way. And I'm the light. And this man wakes up. And he seeks out people who are followers of Jesus. And he says, who is this Jesus? I've been taught one thing about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He appeared to me in my dream. I got to know him. And the Syrian Muslim refugee got baptized into the name of Jesus. He's now a follower of Jesus. This is happening in our city. How did that happen? Because God saw a man who was willing to be molded, who was willing to be moved, who wanted the living God more than tradition, more than what other people thought. He wanted the living God. And I think we have to understand that God was working. God is always working. But Peter and Cornelius, they had to be willing to to move, to be molded. Some of you this morning, you're like, Cornelius, you really identify with him. You're not a follower of Jesus yet. But I want to encourage you because you're responding to what God is doing in you and around you. Keep listening to that voice, the promptings that is leading you to Jesus. My guess is, The Lord's trying to to get you around some people that love him, that actually know him, that actually walk with him. And maybe you need to keep being like Cornelius, keep taking the initiative to be around people like Peter. Some of you this morning are like Peter. And God is wanting to use you to help others experience Jesus. Just be willing to say yes. What if on the other side of every prompting that God put on our heart, 
What if on the other side of that was that person coming to know Jesus? Coming to experience forgiveness of sins, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we learn about our God is that our God is in charge. It was easy for God to give Cornelius a vision. It was easy for God to put Peter in a trance. God is leading it. God is leading our lives. We just have to obey. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a practical way to live this out. When God puts someone on your heart, just reach out to them. Like this week, you're driving down the road, you're going to work, and you're sitting at work. God puts someone on your heart, reach out to them. Hey, you're, you're on my heart. Do you need anything? Can I, can I pray for you? So often, it's just those small, just being obedient to the little promptings that God works in. And I love in this story that, that God gives the Holy Spirit. Did you see this? Did you, could, you, could you picture this in your mind? They're, they're, they're gathered in the living room. Peter is, is telling them about Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all of them. Right, And if you go back and you read Acts chapter 2, this doesn't quite fit in the box that we try to put God into. Right, You go back and you read Acts 2 and it's like, hey, first you repent and then you are baptized and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, God doesn't operate in any box that we try to put God in. Right, They, they hadn't been baptized. There's, there's been no like, formal change. They're sitting there and God pours the Holy Spirit out on them. And I just kept thinking, I think what's happening here, I've walked with a lot of, a, a lot of guys over the years. And they tell me about their plan to propose. And they tell me, hey, the, the ring's on its way. And then they get the ring and they have this plan to wait two months. And I see them a few days later. and They're like, I couldn't wait. <laughs> I couldn't hold on to it. I, I wanted to put it on his finger. And I go, I think that's what's happening here is that, is that God in all of God's knowledge and all of God's goodness, he sees these people who are filled with faith. And they're willing to part ways with the tradition that is keeping them from walking with Christ. And he sees faith and God says, I'm not going to wait, make you wait for baptism. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the gift because it's when the spirit comes that life comes. And any Christian will ever tell you living with the spirit is a sweet, sweet spot of life. And God doesn't want to hold that gift from anyone. So what do we do with this? Hey, is there a slide? We slow up that slide, Lana. Thank you. A couple of things for this week, a challenge for this week. I want to challenge you to pray. You're like, that's simple. <laughs> Did you notice that the common denominator in both Cornelius and his family's life and in Peter's was prayer? What was one of the things that God acknowledged that he saw about Cornelius? That he prayed. Where was it when Cornelius had this vision? What was he doing? He was praying. You guys aren't doing very good at this job, this, this game. What, what, what was Peter doing when he got this vision? He was praying. God meets us when we pray. I was hanging out with Ashley, right, on Thursday morning. And, and at the end of our, our coffee, you know, her eyes are filled with tears. And she's like, I was, I was praying for, 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 for God to, to speak. And, 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 and God speak. He's like speaking in this conversation. He's encouraging me. I'm like, of course, because you prayed. I was gathered with some friends on, on Wednesday. 
And, and we were praying at lunchtime and, and we were sharing parts of our testimony. And, and all three of us, we, we shared essentially, hey, a part in our life when we came to the end of ourselves and we just prayed. And it was that in all three of our stories, there's something about prayer that, that God sees you. And if you're discouraged right now, the, the answer isn't to quit praying. The solution is to keep praying. God proves that he sees it. And so I encourage you to pray this week. Set aside consistent time just to be in the presence of God. Start with 10 minutes this week. If you're not used to praying, set aside 10 minutes. Doesn't have to be the same time every day, but 10 times uninterrupted. Not when you're driving, not when you're doing anything else, just sitting in the presence of God praying. Second thing I want to encourage us to do this week during communion. Is there someone the Lord has asked you to share Jesus with or somewhere that he's called you to go, but you've been scared or reluctant? And some of you, the answer is going to be, no, there's not. And that's okay. Just share that. Some of you, the answer is going to be yes. And as we take communion, as we break the bread and drink the cup, share that. And go, man, what if God is, is putting someone on your heart, Dan, because on the other side of it, he's wanting you to be a part of their salvation. And Kim, what if the same is true for you? And what if we, as God's people, just go every time, God, and I know we're going to miss this. I know we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna chicken out sometimes. We're not going to take the chances. But, but what if we become a church family that is known for our obedience? Because we trust God. So if God's put something on your heart, someone to talk to this week, do it. The last thing, is there a picture up there? We're working on it. Okay, that was my bad. Um, so there's two people from our church family, Chris and Allison Wilkinson. Raise your hand if you guys know Chris and Allison. Raise them high so I can see just how many people. So Chris and Allison, you can put them down. Um, Chris is originally from um, Sheffield. It's a city right outside of, of London. Chris moved here several years ago. He was not a follower of Jesus. He met Christ, gave his life to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, met Allison. You know, she's an extreme follower of Jesus, just an amazing woman of God. And they felt like they were supposed to move back to Sheffield because there's so, it's just, like, it's like a drought there, spiritual drought. People don't love Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. And so they're going, hey, we're, we're going to move back to Sheffield to be light. And as I'm talking to Chris and Allison, it's hard do you realize how much of a blessing it is just to get to be surrounded with people who, who are going after Jesus? Like the fact that you're sitting here this morning and you're not by yourself, that, that you're surrounded with people who are searching and who are worshiping, going after God's are such a blessing. They're going, man, we don't have that. We miss that. And so here's what I want to invite us to do. Andrew printed off some letters. It has their address on it. And so I want to invite you to, to take letters it's on the table. If you know Chris or Allison, or even if you don't, I want to invite you to take a letter. I want you to invite, them, to invite you to write a letter to them this week. And we've just been talking about, hey, it's, it's as followers of Jesus, we all hear from God, that, that each of us is not just a few people that hear from God. And so I want to invite you, hey, sit down and ask God, hey, God, what do you say about Chris? God, what do you say about Allison? God, will you give me a passage of scripture that will encourage them? Would you give me a picture that will encourage them? God, would you give me some encouraging words? And then just write it and put it in the mail, put a stamp on it and send it and wait and see what God does. All right, I'm gonna pray. We'll take communion. God, thank you for these men, these women. 
meet us as we break the bread. If anything I said was not from you, from your heart, let it be forgotten. But the things that are from you, God, let them never be forgotten. And bind us to you, to each other. Fill us with your spirit. Open our eyes to the realness of Jesus. Don't let us live in the game. Or don't let us just play the game. Let us live for you, God. Don't let us go through the motions. Let us know you. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.